I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Victor Friedberg is the co-founder and managing director of S2G Ventures, a multi-stage food and agriculture venture fund investing in entrepreneurs whose products and services meet the shifting demands for healthy and sustainable food. He's also the founder and chairman of Foodshot Global, a new nonprofit investment platform that aims to catalyze breakthrough scientific and technological solutions in our food system. Victor has been at the forefront of innovation, global development, and sustainability for more than 20 years. And it was a pleasure to get a chance to catch up with him to talk about his latest efforts to transform the food system with the help of technology. In this engaging conversation, Victor and I get into changing attitudes around food and why people, especially younger generations, are more willing to pay more for food that is healthy, sustainable, and in line with their values. We also talk about his role as an investor in companies like Beyond Meat, and he shares details about Lava, an exciting dairy-free yogurt brand he's invested in that's completely reinventing the yogurt category. Victor has worked on a number of incredibly fascinating projects, and his newest endeavor, Foodshot Global, is sure to make waves as well. To start, Foodshot is looking to tackle the issue of soil and is calling on entrepreneurs and researchers to submit funding requests for moonshot-scale ideas that will create a new soil operating system for the 21st century. As our food system is pushed past its absolute limit to sustain a population of 10 billion people by 2050, we are going to have to re-engineer the food system from the ground up, literally, and Foodshot hopes to be at the front lines of this new innovation. Victor is incredibly intelligent and a big-picture thinker, and this is a dense conversation filled with advice for entrepreneurs as well as a lot of big new ideas that just might be the ticket to solving our impending food crisis. To learn more about how Victor is helping to do this, listen in. Victor Friedberg, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. My pleasure. Nice to uh, have the time to talk to you. Victor, so I, um, you've worked at, at Wired, and you also co-founded Launch. Um, I want to... F- start off with um, trying to get a better sense of what first got you interested in the food system. Was it at launch when you started to investigate the idea of systems investing or was it something else? It was, it was the combination actually of my work at launch and then just one of those life moments that, you know, we get to have every once in a while and, you just have to be ready for it and then to act on it. So uh, I was executive director and co-founder of uh, Launch, which you mentioned. Um, that was a uh, platform that was funded by NASA, State Department, uh, USA, Nike, um, to look at big um, global uh, issues, mostly around uh, global development. Uh, so... Um, off-grid micro for uh, uh, rural India, low-cost desal for 
sub-Saharan Africa, um, uh, vaccines that can be uh, distributed without cold chain. Um, so those were the things that we were thinking about um, and built this public-private platform, um, done investments, you know, into some really innovative um, companies like uh, Grand Power um, in India, and um, started to think about innovation investments, not from a singular company or founder or innovation uh, perspective. Um, I think that's important. You know, does it have a great founder? It's an inappropriate technology. Um, you know, can it scale? Will it have impact? All of those are very important uh, questions for where to invest and who to invest in. But what is even more important is a understanding of the system in which that innovation is plugging uh, into, uh, whether that's an energy system, a water system. Um, and I was thinking all about that. We were um, we were pursuing that type of systems investing development at launch, and I was on vacation in Spain um, with my girlfriend at the time, and we walked into um, the central market in Valencia, Spain. I started walking towards this vendor, and it was a peach vendor, and I could smell that peach from 15 feet away, and then when I tasted it, it was an epiphany, and it tasted unlike anything I had tasted before. I was a person of means. I could um, shop at Whole Foods. I could go to uh, nice restaurants, um, but here was a market in Valencia in which the rich, the middle class, and the poor all shopped, you know, together and had a access to food that just um, was just so luscious. <laughs> And beautiful and clearly nutritious and flavorful. And I didn't recognize it. And I was like, well, I seem to be eating a shadow of the real thing. So why is that? And I started looking into it when I got back from Spain in the US and I was like, oh my God, food is a system. <laughs> And this system is going to dramatically change over the next 10 years. And it was with that, um, you know, insight um, that I co-founded S2G Ventures. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting, the fact that you bring in systems thinking along with the fact that you actually um, tasted a piece of fruit. <laughs> and that was what made you start to think of the bigger picture problems with food. Um, I mean, one thing we don't realize over the last several years, um, I would say since probably World War II, we've I think in America, especially or the West in general, we tend to think of food um we think of natural food that is largely devoid of flavor now, and flavor has been decoupled and added on to food as part of um, 
uh, processed or packaged foods industry. So we are used to foods with a lot of flavor, but most of those are artificially added on. And along the way, we've kind of forgotten what food, real food, should actually taste like. Um, so I think that's just a you know a fascinating insight because it just tells you so much. Most people complain in in this day and age that healthy food isn't so much fun because it lacks flavor. And the reason for that is we've probably just lost our taste for real flavors. And of course, some of that flavor has disappeared because of things we've done to the soil and our water and the way in which we grow food. So I, I think that insight is just, it, it's, it's such a cool story. <laughs> I think it, uh, I wish I had such a cool story in terms of how I got into food, but um, I think it leads to, in an interesting way, what you ended up doing next with, um, so for Someone who doesn't know S2G Ventures, Seed to Growth Ventures, great name, by the way. Um, So I'm assuming that that epiphany and that inquiry that you went down led to the formation of S2G. Um, And over the years, you've done numerous investments in um, companies across um, the food ecosystem, so to speak. Uh, For those that don't understand or know what that is, um, can you give us a sense of the work that you did with S2G and if you're still involved with S2G? Um, so let's start with, um, you know, really what systems investing in food is basically you have to start thinking from soil to shelf. And it's funny, you mentioned, I was thinking about, you mentioned, you know, kind of world war two. And when you start thinking about the last 70 years, The food system has been built and refined and ultimately optimized for convenience, affordability, and abundance, the ability to have whatever you want, whatever, you know, you want it. And that got perfected that way because, you know, your young viewers, um, you know, don't remember a time, and certainly I don't remember a time, but my parents, my grandparents remember a time in which food was not always a given on your table. And, you know, you had World War One, you had the Great Depression, you had World War Two, and food security was a real thing. How to get calories on the table and into your bodies for sustenance and not going to bed hungry, was a real thing. And so big companies and agriculture and investors and the government basically worked together to solve that problem. But what started happening over time is that in the effort to you know, secure food, those stakeholders started to think about yield, how much, you know, crops or, you know, um, cattle can you get out from a, you know, an acre? Um, how do you make that, you know, sort of affordable um, so that everyone can have, you know, access to it? And so then genetics started to be developed where, you know, um, you know, species and, you know, breeding with change so that you could get more out of, you know, the land, you know, that, you know, we had. 
when you did that, you basically lost things and you lost flavor and you lost nutrition. So if you look decade after decade, you know, from, you know, World War One to, you know, now mm-hmm. you'll see that nutritional density of food has basically gone down. The yield has primarily gone up mm-hmm. um, of, you know, stable crops and, you know, um, you know, uh, livestock. But now the consumer has fundamentally changed and said, okay, I do care about convenience. I do care about um, affordability. I do want what I want when I want it. But now I care about flavor. Now I care about nutrition. Now I care about um, authenticity. Now I care about personalization. All of uh, now I care about traceability. Um, all of these things now have to merge into a single food system. So all of the things from the last 70 years around convenience and affordability and abundance are still valued by the consumer. But now we want all of these other attributes. So all of that has to unify, you know, into a you know a system and ultimately how you grow, you know, how you manage soil, how you grow crops, how you harvest those crops, how those crops get transported to millers, how it's milled, how it moves, you know, to ingredient supply houses, how that goes to manufacturers, how that then, you know, comes to the consumer, all has to change. So these new attributes, these new demands that the consumer is having for healthy and sustainable and, you know, flavorful and all of these things that I experienced in my peach in, you know, Spain Mm -hmm. is what food becomes in the future. The future of food is food. (laughs) So, um, you know, from an STG and from a, you know, any venture investor, I would say who's investing in this space. You have to look at that big picture mm-hmm. and understand where all of these changes have to happen so that the soils we build, the ingredients, you know, we, uh, you know, we make the, um, you know, the food that we manufacture and the stores that we sell all are working together to bring, you know, healthy, sustainable and, uh, you know, democratized, affordable, and accessible food, you know, uh, you know, to the market. So um, S2G was doing that, you know, work. Um, my first investment at S2G was a company called Beyond Meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is a fascinating, scaling, you know, company with, you know, amazing growth that has, um, you know, potential impacts on, you know, human health from, you know, moving off of, uh, you know, animal-based uh, proteins to plant-based proteins, um, and then all of the benefits on the environmental uh, side from uh, that shift. Um, so fascinating, very fast-growing um, company. Um, you know, companies like, um, you know, Appeal Science, um, which uh, takes uh, agricultural waste, uh, breaks that down into uh, compounds that can be uh, reconstituted into a spray-on biofilm 
onto fruits and vegetables to control oxidation and respiration, thereby extending the shelf life um, of uh, fruits and vegetables. You know, a you know potentially uh, transformative, groundbreaking you know company. Um, so you know, these were the companies that um, you know started to intrigue me at S2G, and it's now a portfolio of. Uh, 30 plus, you know, companies that really reflect this soil to shelf systems thinking. Um, so you'll have soil amendment companies, biopesticides, um, uh, you'll have, uh, uh, um, you know, protein um, and fiber ingredient companies, um, consumer packaged good brands, you know, with really interesting differentiated supply chains, restaurants, and retails for the demand side. Um, and then things around um, food tech and ag tech um, that will help the system move, um, you know, forward. Um, so fascinating, you know, fun, doing great work, um, and you know, one of the great portfolios of uh, innovative companies. Yeah, in fact, in fact, S2G was probably one of the first funds I heard of that was um, specifically focused on food and agriculture. And, you know, I love the fact that you brought up that consumers now want uh, nutritious, healthy food. They want the convenience, they want the affordability and the access, but at the same time now they're demanding more in terms of uh, nutritional value, sustainability, and beyond. Uh, in, in some ways, I think we've noticed that trend across many industries in the last, say, decade, I would say, uh, after we went through a few decades of let's industrialize everything and mass produce everything for maximum output and minimum um, cost to the consumer, uh, we finally seem to have reached this age in the last decade, I would probably last decade or so, where people seem to be asking for more quality. And this is uh, true, not just in food. It's probably true in other industries as well. I know for certain in in uh, the world of uh, media and entertainment, um, which I was involved in prior to my entry into the world of food uh, or the or the intersection of food and media, I find that we are now much more informed consumers. What do you attribute to that change or shift? Is it is it just the internet and social media? I mean, I have a theory. Um, there's probably some data uh, that supports this, but <laughs> I'll give you kind of the narrative, in my opinion. Um, now, clearly, the natural food movement has been happening for 30 plus years. So it's been a steady growth of better for you and, you know, organic and natural. And, you know, obviously that has breakthrough brands and companies, you know, in the early days of that, whether it was Stony Field, you know, uh, mm -hmm. organic or Whole Foods or, you know, so there were all of these breakout um, companies that had massive early success in laying the foundation, you know, for I think what's, you know, happening now. Yes. But I think one of the real trigger events was the Great uh, Recession. Mm -hmm. So you 
obviously see millennials as a you know sort of term and all the data around them as a demographic and a um, uh, you know trend setting and you know all that and that's clearly important and true. Um, but if you look back at like 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, you know, there you were, you know, a young American coming to college and looking ahead into the job market. And, and then this just asteroid comes and, you know, the world changes overnight and you were ready to express yourself through, you know, the traditional means of fashion and cars and, you know, all of the, the apartments, you know, that you'd be living in and um, all of these things that were clear rites of passage for every generation kind of going forward. But this asteroid, it hit. And then suddenly you're, you're sleeping on your parents' couch or you're back in a you know, home or you're now in a, a apartment that you're sharing with four other people and, <laughs> you know, the jobs are not coming and you're certainly not going to buy a car. And there's, there's a lot of real change happening in your life and what you're starting to value and what you can and you can't express yourself with. Mm-hmm. And I think food became a way in which in a very dark period of um, living and, you know, transition, food became a way for people to express themselves and for them to celebrate things that in an environment that was not otherwise celebratory. And so I think food became this way of doing that. So, you know, bringing together friends to cook a dinner or going out to a restaurant in Williamsburg to try this mashup of sort of, you know, um, Korean, you know, and uh, uh, Mexican food. And and you saw that translated into um, into photographs. Everybody started taking pictures (laughs) of their food. They were expressing and celebrating something that gave them pleasure, mm-hmm. um, something that was, you know, almost like music used to be, right? Like just a mashup or a mix-up of things that you could talk about and it was cultural and it was, um, it was pleasurable and, and things like that. So I think that became the point where this idea that food could be something else really took root. And that a lot of the exciting companies that have come along, you know, from that time, I think reflect that spirit. You know, there was a um, there was a Bill Maher episode uh, a couple of years ago, and it was with um, I think it was Fran Lebowitz from uh, uh, Vanity Fair, and she was kind of the special guest, and they were having this um, discussion about what it was like to be in the sixties. They were of the same generation. They had, um, Fran and Bill Maher felt themselves as kind of frontline social change agents when they were young (laughs) and what has happened to that spirit. And 
I remember the line in that was Bill Maher was sort of lamenting the current generation, <laughs> sort of apathy and, you know, not taking to the streets and expressing themselves that way. And Fran Leibowitz said something like, well, they could do it if they just get from behind their ca- cameras and stop photographing food. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, I think she's missing the point. I think that is social activism. And clearly every food company in the world now are looking at those feeds mm-hmm. to understand what change is happening. And it's happening from the ground up. And these, you know, the large company's ability to translate these signals into products that people actually want to buy that are healthy and sustainable and flavorable, all these you know, great attributes, will be the test of their time. Yeah. And so they're, ev- they're going to have to find out how to do that or their value proposition to the market will cease. And so I really do think this millennial generation that got born in the Great Recession was a big piece of that. And my sense would be if you looked at historical discretional spending in food over the last 70 years, it's basically stayed at 17% through booms, busts, wars, recessions. And the like. Mm -hmm. My guess would be that for the first time, discretional spending in food has gone up. And that's being driven by the millennial consumers who are basically saying, you know what, I don't need a car. (laughs) I don't need my own, you know, apartment. I don't care that much about fancy clothes or, you know, all the things that I traditionally would spend money on. I'm going to spend more money on food because I believe it's good for me. I enjoy it. It's social. um, And it expresses my individuality. So I think all of that's translating into massive changes in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a fascinating way of looking at it. What a good, uh, I mean, I'm with you on the theory. I don't have the, the numbers to support it, but everything I've read and heard uh, kind of confirms what, what you're saying is that and maybe I haven't maybe highlighted the impact of what happened in 2008 and, and the economy on, on what it did for this new generation that was coming out of college and suddenly was was that looking at the American dream and it didn't look the same. And because of that, instead of um, doing nothing, they adapted uh, and they've transformed, which has then led to where we have now the sharing economy. And um, in a way, this search for um, self-expression and authenticity, which has been, um, you know, We've talked at length about that on this podcast in the context of what social media has done to food culture and how the the growth of uh, social media platforms has transformed food and how food has transformed those platforms as well. But um, I love the fact that you draw, drew a 
connection to to music as well and and how in maybe maybe in this day and age uh food is that means of expression the way perhaps music was in the 60s and 70s um and and not to draw, make a giant leap here but you did mention one of your portfolio companies at S2G was um Beyond Meat and um I've often said this about uh companies in the plant-based food space is that the the early adopters of those brands and the early consumers um tend to pick those brands because those brands or the products that they produce like Beyond Meats, Beyond Burger and and other products reflect the values that that those consumers hold and so they don't just become um consumers they become rabid ambassadors or fans of the brands much like uh i would say uh you know kids were for of of bands or music bands before they uh broke it and became big and if you want to stretch that parallel you could even say that when beyond meat got uh investment from tyson there was a small section of their consumer base that was outraged by this very similar to when a, an indie band would get a major label deal and uh, their fans would scream and outcry the music hadn't changed just the fact that uh the the secret amazing uh band that they were into and now uh going to be discovered by others so there's a lot of uh parallels i think at least either way i think that's the things i tend to draw when you look at what's happening in food now you have these food tribes and and cultures and um you've kind of got this uh rock star startup community that's uh now attempting to to make it big um and and there's a lot of similarities i think to what happened culturally with music uh, over here but maybe that's a bit of a stretch no i i think it's i think it's true um in regards to beyond me my view is that in order for the food system to really change and to solve the frame that you and I started talking about at the beginning. And obviously we'll talk a little bit about, you know, food shot is coming 2050, you know, 10 billion people on the planet, um, more urbanization, climate change, having significant impacts on weather patterns and um, uh, agricultural stability, you know, that's been around for a millennia, all of that changing. Unless big food companies become part of the solution, we're not going to solve it. Mm -hmm. The key issue is scale. And um, while as a consumer, there are plenty of little indie bands, (laughs) you know, I like food as an investor and a passionate change maker in food. I want as many of the large companies, you know, to be successful uh, as we can because the scale at which they work at, the infrastructure and assets that they have, the actual talent, which I think is completely underestimated in the sector. You have a lot of little, you have you have a lot of very well funded startups who are quote want to be disruptors, you know, in the food industry. And they're like, well, we're never going to hire people from big food. Mm. Well, proceed at your peril, because (laughs) unless you actually know how at scale to create, you know, food, um, you know, that is uh, 
accessible and, you know, affordable and plugs into global supply chains and like your impact in the world is, is going to be minimal. Mm -hmm. And so we have to get these big companies involved and for beyond meat, both as an investor and I'd say as a change agent, Tyson coming into Beyond Meat and now thinking of itself as shifting towards a protein company as opposed to a meat company and making more and more investments into the clean meat space and other, you know, sort of alternatives. That validates this innovative work in a way that um, shouldn't be discounted. And it's one thing to have, you know, from the investment standpoint, a big Silicon Valley venture fund setting a value on a company and taking a share. Mm-hmm. Well, that may work out or that may be a house of cards. Yeah. But if you have a Tyson buying into, you know, a company and validating that both through an investment and through its own sort of uh, process on valuation and things like that, that actually is real. Yeah. And so I would make the argument that the major labels coming in, <laughs> you know, uh, to the indie band is a big opportunity for true change. And the next five years, 10 years, all that has to happen will separate which big companies have figured out how to do that effectively and which ones haven't. And there's going to be a lot of experimentation and there's going to be a lot of investment. And there's going to be a lot uh, that goes wrong and there's going to be a lot that goes right. Um, but they have to be at the table. Yeah. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. I think, you know, you summed that up really well. And I think you kind of brought it back to your first point about um, how you cannot really make uh, an impact in the food system without thinking of the entire system and, uh, so you may have the greatest product, but if you don't work within the confines and the established distribution mechanisms, and of course there are some new ones and e-commerce is, is great, but if you want to make impact at scale, you have to work within the way, uh, way the system currently runs. And the best way to do that is to actually, um, you know, of course, if you grow on your own and you scale up, that's great. But if you can get an infusion of capital and support in terms of distribution and marketing with the help of uh, someone or, or company in big that's part of big food, uh, you're going to get there faster. And, and the good news is that I think big food, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but big food has started to see the writing on the wall that consumers are shifting in this direction. It's up to them now to figure out how they transform their existing ways of doing business and their existing products uh, into these uh, newer, healthier, sustainable um, brands that exist out there, whether it's through acquisitions or uh, whether it's through just these strategic investments. So speaking of you know acquisitions and strategic investments, before we get into food chart, I do want to get your thoughts on... Um, where you see the sort of M&A outlook um, when it's specifically connected to what's happening in the world of plant proteins and the plant-based food space. I know you have quite a few investments in those through S2G. Um, Where do you see that in the short term, the next five years? Um, What's your best guess? 
or where things are going to go in the next five years? Well, I mean, this is going to be the golden period over the next five years. I mean, some of the most important influential companies are going to emerge, um, going to be in this plant-based arena. That is where massive growth is happening and shifting palettes and you know shifting desires on the consumer, um, whether that's you know under a flexitarian banner or a vegan or a you know plant-based banner. That change is clearly happening, both from the investor side. I think there's massive opportunity for investing into great companies um, and being successful. I think as an entrepreneur, there is opportunity to build the next 21st century you know, company in the plant alternative, in the plant um, protein space. Um, and as a consumer, I think there are more and more options coming each and every day that are enjoyable, nutrient-dense, becoming more affordable, um, and just fun. So, you know, I'll plug one of uh, the investments I made into this company, Lava, and uh, that company is uh, best-in-class plant-based non-dairy yogurt there are lots of non-dairy yogurts, you know, out there. There are almond yogurts. There are, um, you know, pea protein yogurts. Um, but frankly, I think they're unsatisfying. And Lava came along. And what that company is doing and what I'm really excited about is that we're redefining what this food tech movement is. And I don't even really think about it, you know, really in terms of food tech, because I think the image that comes into mind is a lot of science and processing and um, a lot of manufacturing of um, analogs to meat or analog to milk or, you know, uh, that approach. I think what Lava is doing that's fascinating is we're thinking about innovation from a biology standpoint. So how do you create a nutrient-dense, clean-label, no-sugar-added protein product with good fats and other uh, micronutrients, you know, in there... And to do that through a biological system. And doing that is very difficult and very rewarding. Mm-hmm. So if you look at lava, it's basically seven whole ingredients. That has been put together where you have a uh, proprietary group of probiotics. They've been matched with a uh, prebiotic uh, resistant starch um, that comes from the plantains that we put in there. So proprietary culture blend, plantains, 
you know, a bunch of other ingredients, this nut that we discovered, uh, well, Liz, Liz uh, Fisher, the founder of Lava, found um, in the Philippines called the Peely Nut. Hmm. And all of those things come together to basically be a living, like a living cup of yogurt. <laughs> and so it's got 50 billion probiotics. And the reason why you have 50 billion probiotics, uh, kombucha is like 2 billion. So imagine, you know, uh, a bottle of kombucha and here you have a cup of yogurt mm-hmm. and one's got 2 billion probiotics and the other's got 50 billion probiotics. So the reason why that happens is that we've created this biological system. And this biological system actually allows us to... Um, not use gums, not use preservatives, not use, you know, emulsifiers, not use, you know, stabilizers, all those things that make those really long labels. Yeah. We've taken out and the way we've accomplished it is through biology. And uh, I think that's fascinating. And I think that is um, part of our future going forward is, you know, start with this idea of no compromise, clean label, clean nutrition, great flavor. But now you have to do a lot of innovation on the formulation side. You have to do a lot of innovation on the commercialization of that in terms of manufacturing in order to bring that product week on week, exactly the same, you know, experience for your customers through this biological system. And that's new. Nobody else has figured out how to do that. Yeah. And can I just add that I actually tasted lava at a, this was at an event in New York earlier this year and uh, it was served at breakfast and I, everyone around was, uh, uh, was trying it and being like, what is this new yogurt? It's amazing. And had, none of them had any idea that it was all plant-based. It didn't matter. It just tasted great. So um and just one last question on lava. Is that already in the market? What's the what's the plans? Because I haven't really seen it in a, in a grocery store yet. Yeah. You know, so we're in Whole Foods um, in four regions, mm-hmm. uh, Northeast, uh, Southeast, uh, Southern California. And we just got Mid-Atlantic. We're in Safeway in uh, San Francisco, uh, Rocky Mountain, and uh, soon coming in Pacific Northwest. Wow. Fresh market, fresh direct. Um, so we're getting out there pretty fast, and just won the next day at um, uh, at Expo. Um, oh, wow. The best new product, so we're pretty proud of that. Congrats! Well, no, I think it's uh, you know what you said in terms of how do you develop use technology to develop a food that is. Not what people typically think technology does to food, which is strip away the nutrients and add a bunch of sugar, salt, and uh, oil and create something that mimics food. Um, well, make, to make food taste good using sugar, salt, and oil is pretty easy. Uh, to do what you're doing with lava, I'm sure, is way more complicated. So I do think it's a sign of where the future is headed, where it isn't just about mimicking the taste of uh, products that would typically come from uh, dairy or uh, meat, but it is also about uh, boosting their nutrient quality and creating something that helps with sustainability, but also helps when it comes to meeting your own personal health goals. So uh, kudos yeah. to getting that done. I think that's spot on. I think people have been on the innovation and sort of the entrepreneurial side 
coming up with the analog to, you know, meat and dairy. And I think obviously that plays, you know, a big role. Um, but lava is creating something new. It's not trying to mimic something. Um, it's obviously a yogurt. Um, but when you try it, you feel like you're on an entirely new food experience. Um, you taste it as yogurt and, you know, it has the, you know, mouthfeel and all of that. But it's not like it's picking up, feel like you're eating a dairy yogurt. It's something new um, and uh, exciting. And just one last point um, you said about fat, you know, uh, sugar and salt, you know, obviously we know about how food technology for decades was used for bliss point analysis. And basically people became addicted to, um, uh, you know, fat, uh, sugar and salt. You know, my thesis in food is that at the end of the day, we all know what tastes great. And the problem has been that our tongues have basically been monocropped <laughs> and they've been so focused on such a narrow range of flavors where the universe of food is pretty broad. So part of the systems change is like, how do we bring all of those flavor profiles, you know, and all those flavors and all of those, um, you know, ingredients back because they're on earth for a reason. They were there because they had secondary compounds, which is basically what flavors are, right? Secondary compounds that have nutritional value from an evolutionary standpoint. So we've been doing everything in our power over the last hundred years to basically take those tens of thousands of flavors and kind of reduce them to 20. Hmm. And we've sacrificed not only enjoyment, but we've obviously sacrificed nutritional uh, access. So I think the future is going to bring a lot of that um, back. So I think your listeners, you know, are entrepreneurs. Flavor is a system. So mm -hmm. start building things with great flavor and uh, consumers will come because, you know, everybody's tired of just having salt, sugar and uh, um, fat. And uh, there's a bigger world out there. Yeah, no, I think you're 100% right on that. Um, I do want to get into, of course, the new work that you're doing with Food Shot. Yeah. Um, so f I know it's very new and it just launched, but um, my first question when I heard about it, I see uh, I see a lot of similarities to some of the work you were doing in the past with launch, uh, but reconstituted and focused on uh, one system, which is our food system. Uh, would that be a safe categorization where you pick challenges and then uh, you have uh, potential solutions to those challenges funded? Uh, but I'll let you describe it better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've always been interested um, from the days of launch in collaboration and multi-stakeholder mm -hmm. Um, I think launch was really almost more of a, tr not a traditional, but, you know, a, um, a known public private partnership, you know, between government and corporations. I think what Foodshot Global is, is a nonprofit organization 
that is looking to solve through innovation and investment some of the most um, pressing uh, food system challenges that are coming, you know, towards us, and to collaborate with banks, funds, foundations, nonprofit organizations, um, universities, NGOs, as a um, formalized collaborative group that has access to um, capital, um, to innovation pipelines, to commercialization and piloting and uh, scale-up resources, to global markets, and massive experience in you know what works and what doesn't work uh, in the world. And this is a unique way to, to solve these challenges. Um, and uh, we think Foodshot Global fills that um, space. And uh, we're excited. We launched it last week at the Global Climate Action Summit. And it's been you know, incredibly well received. And we're focusing on our first, um, the inaugural Foodshot Global Challenge, uh, which we're calling Innovating Soil 3.0. Wow, that's exciting. So, for so someone who doesn't know much about this, what, how are your challenges structured? So, I'm, I'm assuming you pick one particular issue, and in, so as opposed to the traditional venture capital or other investment model, where you you go and you look for companies that meet your investment theses, and then you build a portfolio based on that. Here, you're looking at the problem at a whole, and then presenting that as a challenge. And I'm assuming people who have Solutions, whether it is whether they are entrepreneurial, policy based, or otherwise, can apply for uh, I'm assuming investments or grants um, to to participate in the challenge or to help solve the challenge. Yes, so absolutely right. Um, so our first mandate is to start with the problem mm-hmm. first. Um, in the world of venture capital. Um, it's very fast moving, you know, hectic, um, exciting, exhilarating, um, a lot of time on traditional tools of, you know, pipeline development and diligence and, you know, deal structuring and the like. Um, and that's all very important, you know, tools. Mm-hmm. For Foodjack Global, the starting point was what are we trying to solve? And then, our second mandate is to solve those problems through collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, towards that end, you know, we've put together this amazing founding partner group, you know, which includes Rabobank, Generation Investment Management, Mars, uh, the Innovation Institute for Food and Health at UC Davis, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation through a new vehicle called the Builders Initiative, um, Armonia, um, the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture. We have resource partners that include the Nature Conservancy, um, the you know Path Foundation, the Soil, you know Health Institute, and the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. So that's the collaborative group in which we're engaging with um, uh, through Food Shop. Our third mandate is to look to longer horizon and to deploy capital across those 
horizons um, to provide, you know, what we're calling a capital continuum Mm -hmm. of prize dollars, equity, and debt. And we want to empower visionary entrepreneurs and change agents, and that takes time and resources. Mm. We've established the Groundbreaker Prize, which is a $500,000 a year um, award to groundbreaking rising stars in uh, research, social entrepreneur, social enterprise, and um, public policy and advocacy. So that's on the early end of that capital continuum. As you move Mm. further down the continuum, we have um, uh, up to $10 million a year in venture capital and equity, and then up to $10 million a year, um, perhaps even more, um, in uh, debt. So we think we have a lot of uh, investment and financial resources, and our job is to look for companies that best align to our food shop um, global challenge um, or early research or social entrepreneurial or advocacy work, and then find the right capital structure, the right capital source you know, for that. So at the end of each year cycle, our big win would be through the groundbreaker prize, you know, we've you know, finance, you know, we funded maybe one of the most groundbreaking research researchers on soil microbiome, mm. you know, or, you know, a, um, you know, a venture stage company that's come up with the most technology advanced low cost soil sensor that can create basically a soil map across, you know, the world yeah. or a, um, uh, later stage company that is doing um, visualization for soil and is able mm-hmm. to do it both in terms of, you know, above ground, either microsatellite or um, even um, they're, they're doing now just visualization through, you know, airplanes and things like that, but also soil, un, you know, below ground phenotyping and soil analysis. That is a whole new field, you know, of innovation. So at the end of that, cycle of the year, we hope we've been provocative and bold in our choices around um, who we've given the groundbreaker prize to and um, deployed equity and debt uh, investments to um, uh, in terms of companies. So that, that's what we hope uh, we'll see at the end of the year, and we're excited to get started. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, super exciting. I love the fact that you are now um, sort of... Uh, changing the even the investment model in this space a little bit because while as you said you know venture capital is great and uh, it is not the right uh fit for everyone at the end of the day and at this uh, so what's important especially when it comes to food is the, is it's not going to be only the venture capital ready um uh, startups that are going to be changing the food system if you do want to actually solve this entire systemic problem that we have that we've we've kind of developed in the last 70 years, we need a whole range of problems and the right capital or the right uh, funding for those r- range of solutions may all be different. So uh, the fact that you're looking beyond just um, 
you know, putting venture dollars to new startups, but also looking into what's happening in the policy space, as well as what's happening at the research level, and then being able to tie that in to the partners that, you, that you've established right now to give them, to give those individuals or entities the support that they need to to take whatever they're doing to the next level is, uh, is, is just a great idea, I think. And I love the fact that you've started off with soil. I mean, kind of going back to the first discussion we had when we started this conversation, um, if, if you really want to get a sense of, uh, you know, you can look anywhere uh, and the impact of the mass industrialization of our food system is apparent more clearly in our food than anything else. But the first thing that we did was was destroy our soil and if that dates back you know the the wars as we mentioned earlier uh, how do we get the most amount of yield out of that soil and what we turned to was fertilizers and chemicals and uh, not only has that reduced the nutritional value of our food and made them problematic but it has also stripped the quality of our soil which then of course impacts our food um, so that is one of the first problems. I mean, if you have to start from the ground up, literally, uh, pun intended, uh, and I think the soil is a, is a great place to begin. So I'm sure that's the reason you picked it. Yeah. I mean, anything that we're going to be looking to solve in the future will start uh, with soil. You know, we're calling it soil 3.0 because sort of the brief history of soil, if you look Soil 1.0, it was really start of a natural ecosystem of organic you know, matter that laid the foundation for agriculture. Uh, but as we talked about before, when these, um, you know, as population grew and, you know, calories needed to be secured and yields needed to be, you know, improved, um, we started to treat soil as dirt. It became primarily a delivery system mm -hmm. um, for chemicals, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to enhance, you know, yields. And that was great for the time in which we needed that large growth of, um, you know, agriculture and, you know, sort of livestock to keep up with population growth and you know, to secure food for a growing population. But now, both the externalities in terms of um, the environment and what I'm now calling the internalities, mm. which is how is that of food affecting our bodies? Now that those are starting to be accounted for, soil can't be soil 2.0 anymore. It has to evolve into soil 3.0. And the way we're going to be able to get, le you know, more from, you know, less is by advances, you know, in technology ma married to best practices um, on the land management side. So investments into um, genetic uh, chemistry, biology, uh, machine learning, predictive analytics, um, robotics, visualization, all of those have to become part of what we're calling uh, a new soil operating system, the soil 3.0. And through that, you know, we will be able to sustain 10 billion people and uh, the planet. And that is the vision for 
uh, our inaugural Food Shop Global Challenge. I love it. And for someone listening who's uh, intrigued and thinks that they may have a shot at uh, this challenge, how would you, uh, how, how do they apply? What would you recommend they do next? Well, first of all, they have a shot at the challenge because it's Food Shop. So everybody's got a shot. You could just go to foodshop.org. Um, and um, if you're looking for equity and debt investments, you can apply. And then there's also like a crowdsourcing page for uh, people that uh, public feels uh, should be a candidate for our groundbreaker prize. Um, so there's a way to um, uh, not formally nominate, but basically to crowdsource um, you know, people that might be not within our radar screen or people that we should know about. Yeah, exciting! Wow, you just you're just involved in so many different uh, exciting initiatives. It's uh, I could talk for hours, but um, I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, so I, you know, I'd love to sort of close out with your thoughts. Um, you know, we mentioned 10 billion people on this planet by 2050. I think I said it, and you said it too. Uh, what is your, you know, if you, if you get this right, if the companies that you've invested in uh, via S2G and now the work that you're doing through Foodshot as well, um, if we manage to turn the tide and bring about the change that our food system so desperately needs uh, in time before climate change destroys all of us, um, what do you think that food system looks like by the year 2050? So, that's the time when we're going to be 10 billion people. If you haven't gotten it right, we're going to be as a, as a society, as a, as a race, as a uh, culture in big trouble by then. Um, but if you do get it right, what is your vision for a good food system by the year 2050? Well, I would love to answer that, <laughs> but there, we're going to need another hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one, I think it is the essential, uh, you know, question, and I'm actually not trying dodge it, um, but, you know, that is um, a long uh, question, a long answer, but I do think that the North Star for all of us is that, you know, food is the essential experience that we all share on this planet. And it's at the intersection of every problem that we're trying to solve, you know, energy, water, human health, sustainability. And so my belief is because of this essential nature, uh, the best scientists, the best technologists, investors, um, not only because, you know, investors, you know, care about the planet, but also there is going to be massive opportunity for um, change and for um, putting capital work and getting, you know, returns from that. It is all going to come together in a way in which, you know, we are getting Simple on one hand and incredibly sophisticated on the other. And, you know, technology has to play a role in that, but also efficacy so that the things that we're doing, we know are actually making, you know, a difference. Uh, so, 
Um, all of these things are going to come together, I believe, in a unified food system that can be more healthy, sustainable, and equitable. Clearly, that's the mission of Food Shot Global, and we'll be part of that conversation. Um, but I think it's a conversation everyone's going to need to have from the consumer all the way up to countries, and uh, we have to solve it. Yeah, I, I love that answer. I think you're so right. But, uh, you know, Victor, this has been a very, very insightful conversation. I appreciate you taking the time today. And I think thanks to the work that you're doing uh, in particular, we're going to hopefully get to that point in 2050. Um, so thanks once again for all the amazing work you're doing and uh, for being on the podcast today. And uh, you as well. And uh, thank you for helping us spread the word. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.